0: Hello and welcome to Guru Please, the show about pushing the limits of life and stepping up to live with more meaning, more purpose, and more passion. I'm your host, Jessica Sun. I'd like to introduce Dan Ram. Dan is an event MC, speaker, and coach. He found himself unemployed in 2010 for almost two years, then decided to say yes to the next opportunity that came his way. He soon found himself becoming a motivational speaker and executive coach. Today, his motto is start now, start simple. A reminder that you can start making your dreams a reality by taking one small step. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you so
1: much for having me and for such a beautiful introduction.
0: Yeah, I'm very glad to have you on the show and I really wanted to get started by asking you about your experience in 2010 bring us back to that time. And, and I really want to know what was going through your mind. What was happening in your life? You know, just let's start there.
1: All right. Let's start with this. I was promised the world, right? I have a Ivy League university education from Yale university economics degree. I have an MBA from Trinity college. And I was told that with my eclectic, diverse background, being the son of an Indian diplomat, having two great degrees under my belt, that I could do anything. This was a promise given to me. And like every uh, millennial, everyone in their 20s that graduates and goes, yes, dream the impossible, do the impossible, achieve the impossible, I went about life with that drive. Unfortunately, (laughs) with a recession, People that don't have experience are often the people that don't get jobs and also with the recession being a foreigner living in Ireland the jobs were prioritized for locals not for foreigners of course I did not know that so what was going on is the highest unemployment the country has ever experienced but for me personally was just a lot of disappointment which led to I guess questioning my value and my worth and eventually some really really low lows enough to the point that i hated the word no I and mean, we're not talking about one or two jobs or a dream job here i'm talking about applying for maybe 300 jobs jobs that i really wanted jobs that i thought i was qualified for jobs to the point of jobs i didn't even want but i knew i was qualified for and even those jobs i wasn't getting and so i got so frustrated with hearing the word no that I resolved, I was going to say yes to whatever came my way. But little did I know, Jessica, at that point, that that one magic word would change the world for me. But that's, to answer your question, that's what was going on for a period of possibly two years of being unemployed in the midst of recession.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can just imagine that hearing the word no over and over, or or just you know, being ignored, that must have been totally unexpected.
1: Unexpected. And also I was ill-equipped. I think a lot of people, even right now. So for those who are watching this in the future or listening to this in the future, we're in the midst of a lockdown globally. And a pandemic has changed the way of life for everyone. I think the one thing we can all agree on is that individually, communities and entire nations were ill-equipped. We just were not prepared for this. And I think that basically summarizes that moment. I was just not prepared for it. No one told me life could be difficult. No one told me that life would involve disappointment. I'm very, I guess the other side to say it is I had a very blessed childhood where I was constantly encouraged, constantly pushed, constantly told I could do anything I wanted to do. And, and then real life hits you. And I think a lot of people will relate with that that life can be hard and life can be challenging. But I am a living testimony that it doesn't have to stay that way. It may be that way for a moment, but it doesn't have to stay that way. And sometimes those moments are your greatest teachers. I think I learned resilience while being unemployed for two years. I learned how to be resourceful during those two years of being unemployed. I think I learned how to encourage myself and not to wait for the applause of other people but to get myself up out of bed and actually do what needed to be done i think i learned discipline during that time because what do you work for when you don't have work <laughs> nothing mm-hmm. and so that's when you got to learn you know what it doesn't matter if i don't have a job i'm going to shower i'm going to shave i'm going to dress up and i'm going to show up for myself mm-hmm. or it doesn't matter if i don't have a stage and thousands of people who cannot wait to see me on stage they can be entertained. Now, I'm going to go work out. I'm going to train so I can be in the best shape because one day I know this will not be my story. Today's story does not have to be tomorrow's story. And I'm going to prepare for that. And so that's when I learned like discipline. So it's easy now to go, oh yeah, I want to be in great shape because I've got this big gig coming up. But that lesson was learned when I did not have a big gig coming up, when nobody knew my name. And when I had what felt like nothing of value to give to the world. And if I could see value in myself and show up to myself, everything else works out for itself. So I think it's one of the greatest moments. And not that I wanna give that to anybody, but if you find yourself in that place, do not be disheartened. This could be a time and a season that you will look back one day and go, I am better, I am stronger, I am wiser, I'm more resilient, I'm more resourceful because of that moment. And I would not redo life without that season because that season was essential. From my growing up
0: yeah that's that's a pretty bold statement to say that two years of of trial and and hardship are essential absolutely well then walk us through what happened when you decided to say yes to the next thing
1: that came around (laughs) well i'm going to tell you the end before the beginning which is nothing prepared me for what i was about to walk into But initially, it started off as something rather insignificant. A friend of mine called me and said, Dan, you know how you're doing nothing with your life. Would you mind volunteering your time to pretend to be an investor? And I guess the irony in her request is that investors are known for having millions of dollars to pour into other people's ideas. I didn't have even enough money to support myself. And so a a part of me was like, I am so unqualified for this. And a part of me was, I will admit, a bit egotistical. in going, I do have two degrees. I should be lecturing this course on business. I should not be pretending to be an investor to a bunch of 12-year-old kids who have worked on an idea for, what, a day. But you put that stuff aside. And like I said, I was so frustrated hearing no from everyone else that I gave myself a yes. And I said Yes. But here's the other side. Jessica, I had no idea how to be an investor. I was an investor. I don't know what investors do. So I watched probably for a week as many episodes of Shark Tank and Dragon's Den. And I read articles and I prepared as best as I could to be a fake investor. Comical, but essential. Like I say constantly, what you do when no one's watching is what people see someday when people are watching. And so I put myself through that discipline of learning and growing without an audience. And I went in and I was the best fake investor that I could be to those 12 year old kids. And that night, that very night, I got a very angry phone call from one of the dads of one of the little girls who said, Dan, never heard of you, but because of you, my little girl wants to be an entrepreneur. So I don't know what you said, but you clearly are a motivational speaker. Can you please come in and motivate my staff? Because as you know, we're in the middle of recession, times are tough and they could really use a little boost. Again, note the irony. I am the one that doesn't have a job and he wants the unemployed person to come in and motivate the employed people that do have jobs. But even though I was like, surely not me, I still said yes. Why? Why? What else do you have to lose? When you have nothing, when you're at rock bottom, you're happy to grab a hold of anything. Mm. Like there was no promise for anything next. It was just an opportunity. And I think a lot of people find themselves with things that seem beneath them or just insignificant. But I have found over and over and over again that it is a casual friendship that turns into some of the most powerful long-term friendships in the future. It is some of the things you do as a hobby when you're by yourself that turn into things that people admire as a gift or a talent. It is things that you do to a small opportunity, the the kind of person you bring to a small opportunity, like a fake investor or a, a momentary motivational speaker that actually leads yourself, leads you to a place of real opportunity down the line. So that's that's. I didn't know that then. At that point, I just had committed to myself I was going to say yes. And so I was just sticking to my own promise. And so I went in, I motivated those staff. And then a couple weeks later, the PR team said, Dan, you are clearly a very good communicator uh, <laughs> off of two gigs. But they didn't know that. And they said, could you come in and, oh, sorry, could you write an article about public speaking? And so I did. That showed up not just on their blog but was covered then by a journal that online journal then said Dan could you predict Ireland's future like some of the top trends of the future and even though i was unemployed and even though i didn't think i was the most qualified and i was really down on myself i said yes and i wrote that article and the best part of that and the part that i was not prepared for is that a real investor from the real dragons dan contacted me and said dan haven't heard of you but i love your article love your positive spirit love the vision that you see for this country and he said that he had been appointed by the minister of jobs enterprise and innovation so a cabinet minister at the highest level to chair a seven person advisory board that was going to write the national policy on entrepreneurship and he asked if i would be one of those seven advisors And that is the story of how I went from unemployed for two years to being an advisor to the national government, informing the national policy on entrepreneurship, speaking in the parliament, addressing the prime minister, the presidents, the ministers, and charting the future of Ireland, along, of course, with my peers uh, on that advisory forum, simply because of the word yes. Sounds like a
0: lot just started happening once you committed to saying yes.
1: And it wasn't one after the other. I mean, I'm telling the story now in hindsight, right? Everything mm. looks clearer when you look through a rear view mirror. But there were weeks of silence. There was weeks of questioning myself. There were moments of doubt even after I said yes, as in like, Dan, you're still faking it. <laughs> you know, like you're not the person that's wearing the suit. You're not that investor. Like get a hold of yourself. But you have to, like I said, you got to learn to encourage yourself. You got to learn to put in the work. You got to learn to give yourself a chance, especially when the world won't give yourself a chance.
0: How did you encourage yourself at that time?
1: Good question. I think I have always seen life a little bit holistically. So I'll go through a few things. And hopefully for those who are listening to this podcast, that might be something you might grab onto. Uh, One way to encourage myself is, of course, Mentally, right? So I make a habit of a gratitude journal, and even if it's not written form, if you can just commit to thinking of five things you're you're grateful for every morning, it actually does change how you see the rest of your day. And so little things like that, having a nice cup of water, and while I have the cup of water, thinking about nothing except for the fact that there's water that's rejuvenating my body, and trying to imagine that water go through my body. Um, and I have a few of these things at that point living in Ireland I had a beautiful view out the balcony and I would just look at the mountains I'd look at the sky and I'd appreciate that I am a part of nature Even though I might not feel like I'm stepping out and contributing. I am still Biologically a part of what is happening around me And so there was a few of these things mentally that I was doing to make myself comfortable with me comfortable with my world Then the second part to that is spiritually. I am very spiritually inclined. And so I spend time reading my Bible and it still blows me away that uh, a piece of literature that was written 2000 years ago and some parts of it even longer before that still has truths that are relevant today. Uh, I was reading something just yesterday that made sense right now to this pandemic. And essentially it's one line that says a gardener prunes so that it can bear more fruit and Mm -hmm. pruning is cutting away. And it may look like a lot of us are having our luxuries, our freedoms, our abilities, our dreams cut away. But what this line says is a gardener prunes not to kill, not to destroy, but to bear more fruit. And so all of a sudden I started thinking like, okay, maybe things are not being taken away from me to destroy me, but so I can bear more fruit. What does that even look like? And all of a sudden my attitude changed to this. So that's the kind of stuff I read in my Bible that goes like, wow, this is so applicable today. So I spend some time praying and reading my Bible. That's a big part of uh, kind of what, how I encourage myself, how I motivate myself. I make sure to have an inner circle. So honestly, you only need like two good friends in life. Uh, yeah. Everyone else is a blessing and a bonus. Uh, mm. If you have two good friends who are in your co- corner, that's great. And I would make a habit of having an honest, real conversation with them at least once a week. And sometimes if you can't encourage yourself, you, you have those people around you that can Physically is another vertical that matters a lot to me. I really believe healthy body, healthy mind. So I'll hit the gym every day. I'll go for a run, whatever it is. 15, 20 minutes of physical exercise actually helps tremendously. I can totally tell the difference in my energy and my mood when I work out in the morning and when I don't. It's that easy. So these are some of the verticals I look at is, I think, in order that I said was like mental, spiritual, relational. That was a friend part of it. And then physical. So those are kind of like the four pillars of a good day as far as like motivating and encouraging myself.
0: Yeah. It sounds like you're not just doing one thing and just gratitude journal or, or waking up and talking to friend or something. You're you're looking at this big picture and you're connecting the dots holistically, as you said.
1: Because we're so much more than we think that we are. A lot of people limit themselves to their job title. Or a lot of people even say limit themselves to their dream. And they will sacrifice things that are vital to achieve this one singular dream when really we're so much more. We are creative and we're relational and we're spiritual and we're biological and we're, like, we're complex and we're beautiful. And I really think it's important that we exercise all of it and not just pigeonhole ourselves and go, oh, I'm just an athlete. There's no way I could sing or take part in theater or volunteer. That's not me. I'm an athlete. No, you actually are capable of so much more. And life is so much richer when you give yourself a chance.
0: You're right. I think being able to open ourselves to the whole of, of life and the whole of our nature in being here, it is a lot more than, you know, oh, I'm just a basketball player or <laughs> I'm just a, an engineer or something like that.
1: Yeah. And And I think a big part of this is... Shifting from the what to the why, it's something that I'm telling a lot of people during this time. Uh, So for those who don't know, typically what I do, as you mentioned in the introduction, is I host about a hundred events a year, which basically means that once or twice a week, I'm flying to another country to host an event. Note that during this time, there is no flying and there's no events. (laughs) So therefore, what I do has come to a screeching halt. I mean, we're talking from a hundred events to zero right? There's no middle ground. There's no meat somewhere. No, it's like two zero. So what I do does not exist anymore. And for the near future, I'd even say the medium future is not going to happen. But in these moments, you got to then focus on, well, why was I doing what I was doing? And can I still achieve the why? Why I exist is to inspire people to start now, start simple. That's my motto. It's to help people take that next step towards achieving their personal or professional goals is to help unblock people from the challenges and the struggles that they have that prevent them from moving ahead. That's why I do what I do, whether it's on social media, whether it's at an event, whether it's coaching, whether it's a cup of coffee, whether it's a podcast. I'm always trying to move the needle to help people to take that one step up, one step forward. And then the question was, could I still achieve the why? And the answer was yes. I still am online, I can still do virtual conferences. I'm so grateful for you, for this beautiful chance to do this podcast interview. Like there's so many ways to achieve the why. I think when you start seeing and asking, well, starting with asking a question, why do I exist? And when you can find that answer, then life becomes colorful, because then you realize you don't have to just, I don't have to just be an event host. I can do that when things are back to normal, if they ever go back to normal, but I can still be me. I can still achieve my mission. Mm-hmm. And I think for everyone, when they see, so for me, when I work out, so right now I'm limited in my options, like everybody is. So there is a 15 year old neighbor who works out with me, two of us six feet apart that work out. And you best believe that I am every day inspiring him to start now, start simple. Because as a 15 year old, he doesn't have the body of a man. He's still developing. He's still growing. He's easily discouraged. But I'm helping him start now, start simple just as a workout buddy. You know, when I am downstairs having a cup of coffee with my parents, I'm still achieving my why by inquiring about the day, inquiring what are some of the obstacles when mom's having some issues with, you know, her bosses or with people she's working with. I'm trying to unblock those situations. So it doesn't matter where I am. I'm still true to me. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. And I think life becomes super colorful. And so for everyone listening, don't limit to what you do or what's on your business card. That is not why you're here on the planet. That is just a season or a chapter of your life. Really think about why are you here and then explore that in all of its diversity, in all of its color.
0: How and when did you find out your why?
1: That is a good (laughs) question. Okay. Or maybe you're
0: still finding it out, you know, I I don't know. I was
1: gonna gonna say the philosophical answer is I don't think you ever arrive, Mm -hmm. but you know you're on the path and you, and you keep walking down that path, right? So I know I'm on the right path, but I don't know if I arrived at the destination. Um, that's the philosophical answer. Practically, I think when I was 30, 30 or 31, about three years ago, is when it hit me that mm-hmm. I felt more alive than I've ever felt before. I felt fulfilled, I felt satisfied, I felt complete, I felt valuable, I felt like I belonged, There were all these feelings and then I thought to myself, what am I doing that is making me feel this way? And then I realized it was the crowds of people that I was with, which is tech people who are trying to build a better future with the knowledge and with the resources they have. It was in the format of conversation. So I'm not the guy that sits in a lab doing research or writing code, but I'm absolutely the guy that shines the light on the CEO that dares to dream differently or the guy who will meet someone and train them to communicate effectively their idea or to raise money from investors or something of that sort. And that's what makes me feel alive. So I would come back home and that's the stuff I'd be thinking about. That's the stuff I'd be daydreaming about. That's the stuff I'd be writing my journal. And I just saw the pattern of that. And I thought, okay, let me lean into that more. Let me lean into that more. And I started doing that more and more. I just got more and more satisfied. And that's when I was like, okay, I've arrived. I also know this. Noticed it in my voice notes to people, like after an event, which, I mean, numbers are not important, uh, but I remember even the early days when I would have, you know, just, like I said, audience, context, those things are great. I'm grateful for it, but that's not what made me come alive. I would walk off stage and I felt like today I've contributed to society. Today I have done something of worth. And that's the thought I'd have in the hotel. And I'd go like, man, this is addicting. I want more of this. So that's when I, I guess, quote unquote, arrived. Although what I would say is that's when I stepped on the right path. Because before that, I worked for the UN. I worked for World Vision. I worked for KPMG. I worked for a private equity company. I worked as a radio presenter. I worked as a voiceover artist. I worked, as as I mentioned earlier, an advisor to the Irish government. I worked as a adjunct lecturer. Like, I really tried a bunch of stuff. I tried walking down many paths. And it was when I got into the event business as a host and as a speaker that was like, I'm on the right path. But I'm still unlocking stuff. I'm still unlocking levels. I'm still exploring. I'm still growing. And so I'm on the right path. I think I've arrived on the path, but maybe not the destination. But that doesn't matter because this path is tons of fun.
0: It's almost like you don't want to arrive just yet. You want to keep going and, and find out more about this beautiful path. I'm very happy for you.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so
0: much. I'm curious, how do you develop your speaking skills? Cause you know, it's not something you studied and you kind of happened into it. Tell us about how you build your skills and how you built them and continue to.
1: So this is a really good question. I just want to put out as a disclaimer, I am not a trained communicator. I don't have a master's degree or a bachelor's degree in communication. I do not work in any speaking agency. I've never been to Toastmasters in my life. So my advice, my thoughts may not be reflective of your journey, but that's totally fine. I think everybody is on their own path. Mine really came from a place of insecurity and failure. And as a child, I was very shy, very socially awkward, very nerdy, And very Marginalized for a few reasons. I mean physically I didn't look great. I would say my confidence level was very low I probably did not know who I was I didn't have the cool swag factor that other people did I didn't walk cool I didn't dress cool. I certainly did not dress cool. Oh my gosh I was dressed by my parents way too late into my teens. So I did not dress well I Yeah. I just, there were so many things working against me and probably one of the biggest contributor is I was always an alien. Right. And what I mean by that is as the son of an Indian diplomat, we moved every three years. So I was always that new kid. I was always that other kid. I was always the one who just showed up one day and never fit into a social circle, never fit into a friend circle. So I had all of that going against me. And in the communication area, I always had the wrong accent because Mm -hmm. as someone being from another country. It just didn't have the right accent, and so I would mess up when I would speak, and then kids would kill me, right? Like, that's how kids are in their teenage years. Like, they would just destroy me, and they would make so much fun of me. And so I just learned to shut up and not say anything. But it was in that insecurity and the failure that I thought I just had to put in more work, because either I cave in and just write it as the story of my life that I cannot communicate, or I try to figure this out. And so I put in more work than everyone else. So I knew that the teachers would ask us to read out segments of whatever chapter we're reading, like a paragraph or a line or so. In order to prevent any mispronunciations, I would pre-read all the next day's text the day before. But what did that mean? It just meant I was actually more prepared. I didn't know that then, but that discipline of reading the chapter the next day, actually made me a better student uh, without me even knowing that. And also made me more intentional about my pronunciation, about my communication. Same in church. When a pastor would say, can you read a verse? I wouldn't settle for just opening the Bible and reading it. I would memorize it so that I could really deliver it. Even in my piano, which is another form of communicating through music, my teacher would never allow me to read music. And I learned classical music and it is complicated stuff and she would make me memorize it so that my only focus was on the delivery not in the reading and so it was all these little moments at a young age really being hyper focused on how am i speaking do i have ums and uhs in my sentences do i make unnatural pauses do i struggle with coming up with the right words at the right time and what is my performance of it am i communicating what i'm reading Those were the thoughts at a very primitive stage that I was having as a young child. But that really helped me as I kept growing up. And so I would say my training ground as a communicator was from a place of failure and not wanting to remain a failure. And oddly enough, it actually helped me grow leaps and bounds over other people. And I'd say one of my secret powers is being an introvert because extroverts take for granted their ability to entertain or to be with crowds of people. For introverts, it's a little bit more effort. I, so, I love people, but my energy does not come from being around other people, it comes from myself, from my own time. And so, as an introvert, I felt I had to just be a little bit more intentional when I was at a party setting or a group setting. I would maybe, instead of being tongue tied in front of someone, I would maybe think about some questions, some conversation starters, I know it sounds so nerdy, but that's what I would do. I would just think like, what are five or six things I could talk to my friends? Because it wouldn't come to me naturally to just jump into a conversation. I would also think about, they would ask me how was my week. And I would think I'm not just going to say fine because I'm the boring kid. So if I just say fine, they'll quickly move on to the next one that is interesting. What was interesting about them? Well, they could tell a story. So then what was the story I could tell? And I would practice that story. And so I feel like I put in more effort, but that actually made me a better communicator and actually much better at presenting myself. And it's actually the same stuff I do now. Even when I show up and say, good morning, everybody, and welcome to blank event, I practice that one line over and over again. And I've said that hundreds of times, but I'm aware that if I say, good morning, everybody, or if I say, good morning, everybody, like even just those two examples have drastically different levels of energy, confidence, And most people make up their mind about me in those first five or six seconds. So that good morning is very important. (laughs) And so I still practice. I still think about delivery. I still think about performance, even to this day. But that's how I got into this journey. It was never a dream. It was never a goal. It was just putting in work in an area that I was not good at. And it's come back around to actually build an entire career platform. And just one of my greatest blessings.
0: I mean, you really turned what was essentially, you know, bullying or or just people treating you like the outsider into one of your gifts to the world. What I gathered from what you just said was public speaking isn't isn't really a talent. It's something where with a high level of awareness and with absolute preparation, you can
1: you can do it. Oh, it certainly is not a superpower that only a few are born with some people are maybe more innately able to but it's a skill set that can be learned and i'm living proof of it i learned this i was not born with this it was not natural to me but i learned it and that's i mean that's why i do a lot of coaching these days because people do come up to me and say dan i wish i had your level of energy and i go you can or they go i wish i had your charisma or confidence and i go absolutely you can uh, and for be- being an MC is slightly different. Being a host is slightly different from speaking. When you're speaking, you kind of have your thoughts known, what you want to share. When you're MCing, you have to be super present. You have to really roll with things. You know, humor cannot be practiced. It really is just feeding off of whatever's happening in that moment. The segues between segments on a at an event or a show, kind of you have to go with the flow on that stuff. And so people tell me like, Dan, I wish I could be more creative. And I go like, actually, that's a skill that can be learned as well. So I love coaching people because I've seen that transformation in my own life. Um, And it is possible.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's very surprising to hear that you're an introvert. I I would have never expected that.
1: Yeah. I mean, personalities do evolve as well. But for sure, on the Myers-Briggs test, if you're familiar with that personality test, I would have been an INTJ in the earlier days, maybe up to 15 or 16. And then I started moving closer to the E. Uh, which stands for extrovert. So I'm closer to an ENTJ now. So I have moments of, technically I guess I'm an ambivert at this point and I can go between introvert and extrovert. But after a big event, so there's an adrenaline that kicks in and excitement to see people. And then promptly after the event, the only thing I can think about is I can't wait to go soak in my bathtub by myself. <laughs> so everyone else will go to a party or you know an after event, hang out, and I'll be like, Thank you guys. This is fun. I'm going to go chill by myself. And that's what I will do. So I've certainly still got introverted elements. Also, I love flights and it's probably one of the most introverted thing you can do. And I know a lot of extroverted speakers hate the travel, but I actually love the travel because I love spending 18 hours by myself, reading a book, listening to a podcast, just investing in my own mind and my own thoughts, my own opinions. And then sharing that. And I'm equally excited about sharing that with people when I'm with them. It's like
0: you're giving yourself what you need and you're aware of what you need. You don't feel the urge to, oh, I need to go to this party or I need to be around people.
1: You know what I wish was one class that every school would teach is self-awareness. I feel like it's probably one of the most critical, uh, critical things that Everyone should be checking in with themselves on a regular basis. You were saying this uh, before we got on, that you do an audit of your own life on a regular basis. I love that. I applaud that. And I wish more of us had those tools to know what questions you ask yourself. How do you check in with yourself? How are you on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly basis? And it doesn't have to be this long process involving a coach and all of that, but I think self-awareness is so freeing because like you said you don't have to worry if people go we come to a party and you're like oh no I'm torn and I'm just like you know I, I don't need it I'm okay thank you but if it's a Saturday morning and if it's like a group that's going out to do something fun in the city heck yeah I'm in it's not like I don't like people it's just in certain circumstances I thrive and in certain circumstances I really deteriorate like it's exhausting it's overwhelming So why would I volunteer to go in there? And it's really freeing to know who you are, what you're capable of, what you're not capable of, where your limits are. So that way no one else has to test it. Like you don't let people get there (laughs) with getting close to your boundaries because you know where they are. And you learn to create that distance if people get close to it. Um, I think that's why a lot of people get stressed out or anxious because they're just not aware of themselves. Um, So I really wish it was something that schools would teach is Mm self-awareness.
0: Well, since they don't teach it, what can we do to become more aware?
1: <laughs> I should ask you. I feel like you do this really well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but uh, I'll
1: I really... share one if you share one. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so I'll I'll go first and she asked me and then and you go right after this. So for me with self-awareness, I man, there's actually a bunch of stuff that I do. I would say, okay, here's the easy one. Cause I really care this whole start now, starts simple and being practical. If you guys aren't doing this, highly recommend it. Every night ask yourself, let's go with three simple questions. Okay. Um, when was I at my peak today? And you can define peak however you want. For me, peak is when I'm really hyper-focused when I'm really productive And when I feel like there's an overflow, not like I'm tapping into an empty vessel, but I'm actually like operating effortlessly. So when was I at my peak? I'll ask, when did I fail myself? Not someone else, not a situation, not a goal or task, but myself. Like when was I the most detached from myself? Um, And then I just ask, what do I need to change for tomorrow? Right. So three really simple questions. And if you can do more of the stuff that was at your peak and less of the stuff when you're failing yourself or the circumstances that lead to that, that's what you keep shifting. And just little steps, little things. Um, And so, I mean, it really can be, I'll give you an example that's really, really silly. I usually have coffee with my parents and then I was going and working out immediately after. But what would happen as a result of that is I'd feel like... I lost an hour and a half or two hours of really good working time because of time zone differences being in India. I just get tons of emails afterwards and I just feel overwhelmed after working out or I'd be distracted while working out because of all these emails coming in. So one tiny shift. So I was like, when am I at my peak? You know, like right before coffee and tea and all of that stuff, I'm really at my peak. When am I failing myself was really around the working out and immediately afterwards done. But I just made a tiny shift. I said, I'm going to put a 45-minute gap between coffee and working out. The 45 minutes, I'm going to be hyperproductive. I'm going to answer as many emails, and I'm actually going to switch off my email and then be super focused on the working out. And I find that when I came back after working out, there'll be less emails to deal, deal with, and I had a great workout. So just a tiny shift but it's made a big difference in my day. So that's just an example of like self-awareness is you checking in with yourself you don't need to have a mental breakdown and someone coming up to you and going, "Dan, you really have to take care of yourself. You have skipped four working out, you know, workout sessions in a row and now you're gotten obese. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you don't have to have people emailing going like, are you okay? That email seemed really rushed. You know, is everything okay? You know, you can check in with yourself just with those three simple questions every night.
0: Yeah. I really like that. Cause you're kind of using the power of a question to look back and then also look ahead. And it's kind of—it's not even you're looking back at oh the past year. You're really looking back at just today, and then and then making that shift for tomorrow. It is simple. It is like something you can just start now.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: How about you? That's great. Yeah, I mean the power of question. I think is something that really helps with self-awareness. I think that that's a great way to look at it when you look back and, and look forward. Also in the moment. I I like to notice where my mind is going, you know, separating the thinking brain from the rest of me and Mm -hmm. really just being aware of, okay, where's my mind racing to, what is it doing? What is it thinking about? And kind of distinguishing that from me, which is the non or so much more than just the thinker mind because mm-hmm. you know we can feel very rushed at times and very much almost like our mind is buzzing just like a beehive yes it can be very distracting Absolutely. so I like to just remove myself from that and say okay just you can let the beehive buzz but at the same time it doesn't need to define you
1: a hundred percent I love that. you ever feel that way I do. And do you do any nighttime routines? Like everyone knows about having a morning routine, you know, mm. to like get yourself all hyped and focused for the day. Do you ever do a nighttime routine to reduce the buzz and to reduce the clutter?
0: Yeah, I'd say for me, the buzz happens more in the mornings. But yeah, absolutely. In the evening, it's it's like time to get quiet and time to be alone and settle down and, and wind down. Everything's mm-hmm just kind of slower yeah Yeah. you don't just want to okay now i'm in bed right i like to you know have a gradual kind of wind down
1: well also it's not possible to just go from like sixth gear to to neutral although in america people don't drive uh oh oh,
0: right yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) so you can't go from 100 miles an hour to zero (laughs) that Mm -hmm. is more relatable you you um yeah you have to you have to shift down like you and I think a lot of people struggle with insomnia, or really messy dreams, or disconnected sleep where they're waking up in the middle of the night because they haven't helped their body slow down. Uh, We have to realize that even though humans have progressed and we've created this civilization, some of that stuff is actually counter our biology which is wired over thousands of years and so like little things like lights, you know, for the longest yeah. time, more than we have had lights, our ancestors have not had lights. And so we've been geared towards sun up and sun down. And so when you prolong the amounts of exposure to lights, it actually confuses your body. So why do you think just because you switched off the light now your body's gonna fall asleep? If you've ever watched the sunset, it's over a long period of time, your body has time to adjust to the fact that night is coming. And it can't do that just because you go on, off, on light, off light. <laughs> right. And so you need to essentially dim the lights. You need to yeah, give your chance a yeah. body to slow it down. And it's the same even with your thoughts, you know, uh, back in the day, people, especially in like farming cultures, people would retreat to their homes. They would have family time. There might be some music involved. Um, but there would be community and there would be l- literally slowing things down. Now, We've got our emails, we've got our notifications, we've got our social feed, we've got like a hundred stories that we suddenly feel like we need to be updated on that have nothing to do with our lives and you're feeding all of this into your brain and all of a sudden you go, okay, I'm gonna close my eyes, I'm gonna sleep. What? Your brain's just had so much information thrown at it, it's just not possible. So I, I think controlling the noise and the buzz is so key.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like putting the phone away, putting the devices away, Uh, or, or just focusing on one thing. I mean, you can have it, but you know, just read one article or one blog post or one book, not a hundred different things. And all of a sudden your mind is just like here and there and everywhere.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: I also wanted to ask you about your sense of fashion. You have this very interesting way of dressing. Tell us more about that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: You know, this is the first time I've been asked this question about fashion. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm glad the brand has uh, extended to fashion as well. Uh, What can I say, Jessica? I'm a fashion guru. I'm just kidding. Look, um, for me, having a distinct brand has always been the way I've been wired. This is something I can say I have been that is innate. It is natural to me. So. I remember even with music (laughs) at church when they would ask me to play a song, um, I would always want to interpret it differently. Not because I was rebellious, just because I like to be original. I like to be creative. I'd like to find some way to differentiate. So I know when all the kids in my school comb their hair one way, in India, like a lot of things are homogenized. And so everyone has a side part. All boys have to have the side part. And I decided I'm just going to spike my hair and put gel in it. Um, Not because it's rebellious, but I just want to be different. And so that extends now to fashion because the speaking world, the hosting world is pretty crowded Mm -hmm. and pretty competitive. And there's no way to really tell a great speaker from a bad speaker. Just because someone has a million followers doesn't make them a good communicator. And boy, do I know this because I work with a lot of those people. Right. And I'm surprised and often underwhelmed by celebrities I meet, because, again, it's, it's also not fair to have these expectations. But just because you're a great Hollywood actor or actress doesn't mean you can talk to a crowd, because after all, most of them do their work behind screens and in studios and highly controlled situations. Um, and they can't just perform to live audience. But anyway, I'm digressing a little bit. I always think it's important to differentiate. And so for me, because there is no certification on speaking, there is no, I don't want to play the game of, I want to be the most famous person online. And that's how I'm going to win my credibility. I decided I want to differentiate by representing some of my diversity. I'm not going to hide behind the fact that I am Indian or that I don't have a home anywhere or that I, like any of the usual kind of boxes that you put yourself in, I was like, I am going to actually try to express my diversity. And so I will wear clothes from India, from Morocco, from Germany, from the U.S., and always in the other person's country. (laughs) Mm. So I'm always trying to be a little bit different just to celebrate some of the difference that makes me who I am. Um, I also, and there's a practical side to this, Jessica, as a host, I cannot underdress because it'll look like i don't appreciate the credentials of the speaker that i'm introducing but i also cannot overdress because i don't want to outdo the speaker that i'm dressing uh that i'm introducing and in the tech world it's very confusing because you will have entrepreneurs that wear suits and you'll have investors that wear jeans and you go like what is going on i'm actually confused i don't know which one's the entrepreneur which one's the investor <laughs> And so I decided that I'm not going to, because then what do you do? Like, do I wear a shirt with a tie without a tie? Do I wear a blazer, not the blazer? Do I take it on and off depending on who's coming up? It's like, forget this. I'm just going to wear something different because then I'm not in the pecking order mm. because everyone else is like, oh, that guy wore a really nice blazer. And the next guy just showed up in a shirt. So he looks like he does not care about this event. And I'm just playing my own game. I'm like, I've got a kurta on. Uh, that doesn't fall into any pecking order, it's just what I'm wearing right now, you know, or I've got a later hosen on. That's right. Leather shorts. That's what I have right now. So deal with it. <laughs> you know.
0: Ah, that's so interesting. You touched on the the almost politics of dressing up in for an event and then personal branding. Tell us more about why we need a personal brand, even if we're not, you know, an MC or a host.
1: Yeah, this is a spontaneous decision I made three years ago that has probably been the most rewarding, not thought out plan that I had. I woke up one day, honestly, just woke up one day going, you know, instead of just consuming this content, I'm going to create it. It was just like that. Because like everyone else, I was just, you know, scrolling and checking status updates and videos and appreciating all of it. But one day I thought, you know what? why don't I just create? Why just consume? And that was the start of the personal branding story. I did not come to it uh, informed or experienced. I just navigated and learned along the way. And that's when I learned the importance of having a visual identity. So everything that you see from me is black, white, or red. Those are the only colors I wear. And now people associate that with me. Anyone that. You ask, what does Dan wear on stage? What colors? They will know not to say blue or green or yellow because I never wear those colors. Um, also, repetition of certain phrases. If you follow me on Instagram stories, every single day I wake up with, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, everybody? And it's just like full energy and just a little bit of motivation, hope for the day for people. Also, every day when I work out, I say fitness and S for greatness. But repetition then associates those phrases with you. So now when I go on stage and I go, what's going on? What's going on? And I put the mic out, people scream back at me, what's going on? Or if I'm working out and I'm like, you know, this is great that you're working out. And people will stop me and go like, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, because fitness is necessary greatness. So people start to so so repetition, consistency. That's another thing I learned along the way is if you're consistent about certain messages, certain values, it becomes part of your brand. Like start now, start simple, which is a part of my brand. And so I learned as I went about it, you asked me what the benefits are. And let me say this in this online social media driven digital world. It doesn't matter if you are looking for a job or looking to be a job creator. It doesn't matter if you're at the start of your journey or at the end of your journey, people are going to look you up. And rather than the Google algorithms deciding who you are, you decide the picture that you want to paint. After all, you do this when you shake hands with someone, lock eyes with them and go, hi, my name is Dan, right? You decide the kind of person that you are. Why not do that online? Because this is the virtual handshake that people have. Mm-hmm. I don't know the number. I think I think 100% of the time, if I'm going to interview someone to work for me, I will always look him up. Jessica, even before this, you looked me up before I came on this podcast and I looked you up before I agreed to this, right? That was our virtual get to know each other. And so it's really important that you decide your story. Don't let algorithms decide your story. Don't let third-party sources decide your story. You decide your story. Because people will make decisions about the kind of person you are based on the content you create or don't create. Both speak of it. So I'd say personal branding is so crucial. Whether you're looking to get a job, focus on your personal branding. If you're looking to be an entrepreneur, focus on your social, on your personal branding. If you're looking to be in the service sector, focus on your personal branding. If if you're an artist, you have to focus on your personal branding. So whatever career vertical you're in, honestly, it's probably one of the most important, important things. I put it at par with communication. I think communication is really important as well. I don't know the number of people that are so brilliant, but... They fail themselves because they cannot communicate it. I don't a number of great ideas that have not got funding because they're not able to communicate their ideas. I don't a number of great stories that the world should hear, but don't get heard because they don't know how to communicate it. So I'd say communication, personal branding, these are probably like two of the biggest skill sets. And they are skill sets, not just talents or gifts that you're born with, but like skills that you can grow.
0: Mm, yeah, it's kind of like if you're the story, personal branding is the way you write your introduction because how are people going to know if they want to read your story? Mm -hmm. Thank you for, for shedding that light. That was really useful. Not everyone may feel the need
1: to have a personal brand.
0: It's a lot of work, right?
1: Yeah, it is a lot of work, but it doesn't have to be. I think this is part of it as well. Like you can go to 400 parties a year or you can pick four good ones. You know, it's, I don't know why we keep coming back to a party theme, but you can, you can decide to, you know, try out 10 different hobbies every weekend, or you can commit to two good ones. It's the same with online. You can decide to be on every platform or just one. You can decide to post every day or once a week, but you should be intentional. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying be huge. I'm not saying be uber present and like compete with all the big social media stars. I'm saying be intentional you choose you dictate what goes up otherwise someone else will and worst case scenario some bot will and that's not going to be an accurate reflection of who you are
0: this was a really fun conversation i really enjoyed talking with you about so many different subjects to our listeners check out dan's instagram at i am dan ram he's also on many other platforms will be in the show notes Thanks so much for coming on the show, Dan.
1: Thank you for doing this on a regular basis with so many people for the community. Thank you.